Hi, it's Connor Svensson here, founder and CEO of Web3Labs. This is a conversation I had with John Wolpert. John Wolpert is the Consensus Group Executive for Enterprise Mainnet, delivering products, services and leadership to enterprises that use the public Ethereum mainnet to conduct their business. He's the co-founder and steering committee chair of the Baseline Protocol, an initiative by the Open Standards Body, Oasis. And prior to his work with Consensus, he was an enterprise executive and entrepreneur and was one of the co-founders of IBM's blockchain organization. In this episode, we discuss the history of IBM's blockchain division and why he believes that the future of blockchain is public. We also cover the baseline protocol. The baseline protocol is a technology that uses the Ethereum public mainnet as a common frame of reference among different organizations. John really understands what enterprises need from blockchain, so I'm sure you'll have lots of takeaways from this insightful conversation. Yeah, hey, John, it's great to have you here. It's good to see you, Connor. Um, so what I wanted to start with, um, you know, origin stories that I, uh, I think I think always a great thing when it comes to people talking a bit more about themselves and you know what's brought them to where they are. But um, yeah, yourself, you ha- you were, you know you had a significant career at IBM before you kind of moved into the direction you're you're focusing on now. I'd love to unpack uh, you know your journey there, especially what led you to being one of the co-founders for IBM's blockchain initiatives and then how you ultimately moved on from that to work um, on what you're working on right now? Well, I guess I, I was uh, an IBMer three times, uh, starting in 1997, right out of grad school. Uh, worked on the Java team. It was one of you know, the original Java team out in Cupertino and uh, making Java safe for business, uh, working with Sun and, uh, and others uh, on that. And then I left to start a startup and then came back uh, to uh, help start uh, Extreme Blue, which was a big incubator kind of thing that we did, and then left again, uh, moved to Australia to uh, work on something that IBM participated in, but it was a sort of an NGO, nonprofit, uh, government-backed organization to help do open innovation between uh, legally separate entities, where research departments and different you know universities and different companies uh, could. Uh, collaborate without exposing internal secrets to each other. It was kind of a fun gig. And then uh, uh, started uh, Flywheel, which is uh, one of the original um, ride-sharing companies. Uh, This was uh, focused on taxis right around the same time that Uber was coming up Hmm. and got our butts kicked by that. And and then uh, came back to IBM again and went to work for Jerry Cuomo, my favorite boss ever. And... um, yeah, one day he called up and said, hey, uh, Lewis, it's Clark. Uh, there's a, this thing called blockchain. We're supposed to go check it out. And I, I tell the story a lot. Uh, I you know, I said, okay, give me a ship and crew and I'll go check it out. And he said, well, I got a musket, two dogs, and a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just got we just got lucky. Uh, it turned out to be a, something that the chairman uh, and, and our CEO, uh, Jane Remetti at the time, uh, and, and also our, the current CEO, Arvind Krishna, were both directly involved with, and they tapped us to go and do the work. And at that point, uh, it, it took a while before Fabric actually came out. Sorry, IBM came out with Fabric as well, and they were looking at some of the public Ethereum technologies and taking. Oh yeah, their we, we were going to start there, Ethereum. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The first gang of us, we all went. Uh, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and or in Berkeley, uh, and we we were at the Galvanize, uh, 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 you know incubator uh, space in, uh, was that Harrison or Howard? One of those uh, uh, in Soma. 
And they gave us like a broom closet or something like there were tables in there, like tables on racks in this basement room down there. The And, and we just had eh, maybe 10 or 11, 12 people there. A couple of people, really strong uh, Ethereum proponents uh, were in the room and, and we say, yeah, okay, let's go try to start this on Ethereum. And we spent the whole summer of 2015 trying to make it what we mm -hmm. wanted to do work on Ethereum. And in those days, we kind of had this notion that blockchain was like a fancy database. And that was, you know, it took some years for me to, to kind of come to my senses and realize that, that was probably a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but that, and that was the journey was to say, okay, well, we don't like gas. We don't like this. Well, let's rip that out. Let's rip. And then I think Ben Wynn, uh, one of the original uh, senior engineers on the project said, uh, you know, I, I think he really wanted to kind of show what he could do. Uh, and, and, you know, he's very skilled. Uh, and so, you know, he liked the idea of chain code and he wanted to show, and then Gary Singh got involved and, uh, Chris Ferris and others, uh, shortly after that. Um, I think we, we decided over a lunch in, with London stock exchange group, uh, a guy named Moise Kahari, really nice guy. And it was kind of, it wasn't a boozy lunch, but I think we'd had like one drink or something. And mm -hmm. we were like, you know, we should start a fund. We should start an open source foundation. Yeah. 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 And then Chris Ferris uh, convinced and his boss convinced us that we should go with Linux foundation for that. That's, that was the start of Hyperledger. Awesome. And um, from, from there though, the, obviously IBM um, you know, created Fabric and they, they did, they didn't really kind of, they provided some interoperability a while back, but it was kind of very much so target our enterprise customers. It's a classic IBM type product play. Um, and well, the, the, the problem there was, if you don't mind me, sorry for, yeah, of, go for uh, it. but uh, it, it, you know, the problem was, you know, you have to be careful who you select as your sponsor users, your, 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 your that initial five companies that you're going to listen to while you're designing the product or the, the, the system. And you know why it's called Fabric? It was called Fabric because I was I was running around telling everybody, look, we're not, you know, Corda and others. Corda was originally on the thing. And sure. uh, I said, yeah, Fabric is called Fabric because it's not a platform. It's supposed to be the fabric underneath platforms. If you could build Ethereum or Bitcoin in half the time because of Fabric, then we did their job right. That is not what wound up happening. That's not what we wind up, wound up doing. It was my original intent, sure. I think, and, and, you know, and others. Uh, but that was the kind of the initial idea. And that's why we called it fabric. Uh, the reason it's still called fabric is because I think Mike Pars Mark Parsignac, uh, one of the guys on the team who was in charge of the repo just named it fabric and it stuck. We didn't go through marketing. There was nothing. It was just called a fabric. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why it's called fabric today. Uh, but, but obviously fabric has become a platform and because we had, customers like uh, yeah like the dtcc and others who who were really you know their requirements looked a lot like a like a like a database they needed a database they needed compartmentalization they needed uh, access controls they needed things that yeah, it, but yet we wanted to call it a blockchain and we wanted it to have you know you know distributed you know multi-party uh, governance and all that stuff and it turns out that yeah, you know, I remember the whole time Mark Andreessen was laughing at us, you know, over in, in Silicon Valley, you know, he would make comments about how, you know, this private blockchain movement was kind of dumb. And you know what? He's smarter than me. He was right. Uh, what you get is a complicated shared database. Not that shared databases are a bad idea, 
but you we should have just called them shared databases. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the reason you should call them that is because then you realize you are, you are putting data on a very large threat surface, you know, even if it's private, right? So if, you're, if your mental journey was, I really like blockchain, but the public blockchain is a terrible place for me to put our internal sensitive data, even encrypted, and I don't have access controls and all these other things because blockchains don't like that. And it's yeah. not what they're, you know, a, a tool has its own intentions. So you want to be sure that that you have that um, you have that in mind when you decide to use a tool. In that, in this case, the blockchain is. I like to spread information out. I like to decentralize it. Well, um, and if you want to distribute information, use a distributed database. If you're going to use a, uh, if you're going to do a, uh, uh, if you want to decentralize information, then you can use a blockchain. But what we were thinking about was more like distributed database. And that's, you know, and we had Cloudant already. We had, we have, you know, Cassandra and other ways of doing crash fault tolerant distributed databases. Using a, 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 a shared database can be a, a very useful thing. As long as you understand that either one of two things is happening, right? If, you're, if your mental state was, I don't want to use a blockchain because I want to put data, data on that public thing that everybody can see, or we'll use a private permissioned one. And that's good because all the counterparties will be able to say that they have a node, right? Well, it turns out that A, that is complicated. They don't really want to run a node. They like their, you know, typically the kind of companies that are going to get into this have already accepted the idea of cloud. So, you know, you just need to, that's where you see things like Kaleido and other things popping up to say, hey, here's a blockchain as a service. Well, I say, if you can blockchain as a service, then you could probably just date, you know, you could have uh, sassed, right? And, mm -hmm. and um, and you say, well, uh, unless you really have a good reason that all the counterparties need to have their own node and run their own node. And I found that very rare to be the case. Rarely was the case. Uh, most of the time, they were perfectly happy to have IBM run it, in which case we could have written, all we needed to do is call it blockchain and then written it in Mongo. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Been, it would have been more secure and more uh, inexpensive for the customer in the end. It wasn't like anybody was trying to, you know, Pull people out of their money. We were just on a journey. We were trying to figure things out. Yeah. And so um, that was that was what what wound up happening is uh, we yeah that that was my observation of the whole thing was it felt a little bit like the emperor's clothes, right? That we have okay that we have the shared database, and what happened? Well, we had all these people, all these companies that you know, did POCs. Some of them said that they're in production. Some of them still say they're in production, but. Um, honestly that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of training wheels and guardrails on those things. Yeah. Um, and so it's not like they're very central system of record type of, uh, positions in, in most companies, I would say. And, and the reason is that the CISO gets involved, right? The, the chief security officer says, wait a minute, what, what do you, you want to put our information on what yeah. you yeah. want the stupidest administrate system admin in our consortium to, get hacked and wreck us all, right? That, and that's the problem, right? Even private blockchain, if it's actually a blockchain and people and different companies are running their own nodes, you have a security issue, hmm. right? You have a giant threat surface. Um, so that's why, you know, around what, 2017, I was like, wow, this doesn't work for me. I was having a hard time thinking about it. And Joe Lubin, you know, it was like, hey, you know, if you want to come work on blockchain, come over here. 
Yeah. So I did. And uh, that's been a really good experience. So, uh, but then it, the problem still remains. If you think of a blockchain as a database, businesses can't use either a public or a private blockchain. For most, for not for very much. I mean, you know, there might be some use cases, but you're putting inter almost all internal data is sensitive data in some kind in one way or another. All business logic, you know, between you and your counterparties, you don't want your competitors knowing about you know, and decompiling the business logic in there. You don't want that. So you say everybody says, "Oh, let's NFT things and let's uh, let's smart contract things." I'm like, no, I don't want to. And, and you have nosy neighbor problems and custodianship problems and all these other issues if you're actually using it as your backend to your application, your private internal application. Don't do that. So then, well, okay, what do you use blockchain for? Well, it's it, public blockchains like Ethereum are really good at tamper resistance. They're supremely bad at surveillance resistance, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're not great at scale and they never will be, right? No, nothing, no, blockchains don't scale the way a private or regular old database would. Mm -hmm. And even then, you know, you don't have a singleton that can handle all the reads and writes of everybody's application everywhere all the time. You hear stuff like coming out of Definity. I like Definity; it's interesting, but they're not—you know—they're not a blockchain, right? They're a bunch of subnets. They're like virtualized Heroku, which yeah. is fine. That's, that kind of interests me, but don't call it a blockchain. I mean, it might have some blockchain sauce in there somewhere between yeah. the subnets, but it scales because you're dealing with lots of subnets. And you spoke, does not scale. Right? And you've spoken previously about the you know how state in effect needs to be scaled for blockchains, and that's kind of you know almost like an academic calculation as to when it can kind of reach the, these points of being able to handle the, the sort of loads it needs to be to significantly impact the utility of the internet. Yeah, I, I don't think that it, it's the world computer. I don't think a blockchain ever will be. I think it's I think a blockchain, and ultimately you need one that serves all the other ones, right? You can have lots of different state machines for lots of reasons, but ultimately if you want, whenever you need machine A to be able to coordinate with machine B, you need a common frame of reference of some kind, right? You either have, you're either manually setting up a, an interop, right? Or you put a, an integration bus in the middle or you primary one or the other machine or, you know, or one of the end machines. Um, you have to do something to, keep time to this before that and to make sure that everybody, you know, traffic up, right? Yeah. Uh, well, now we have this always on tamper resistant, can't lock you out of value, valid operations or resist being taken over state machine that's always on and, and you get to pay as you go that you can use as the traffic cop. So, and what do you put on that? You put hashes on it, you put proofs. So the final analysis for me is, <clears throat> and this may sound a little boring, but in, in, for IT people, it's kind of exciting, uh, is hashes for blockchains, data for databases. Hmm. Put my data and my business logic on databases and systems of record and put, and then connect my SAP and my Microsoft Dynamics and my uh, and, 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 uh, uh, NetSuite and Neo4j and Mongo and all you know, whatever you have, right? Excel spreadsheet, Quicken, right? Whatever you, or whatever you're using, coordinate them so that the record in my SAP system is verifiably identical to the record in your Oracle system because I'm 
invoicing you. And now I need to be sure that my invoice is your bill and that we both can't, neither of us can say that we didn't get the memo. And we need to have some way of being sure of that, that is on a supremely tamper resistant, always on state machine. That's where Ethereum is a pretty useful thing. It's a bulletin board, right? And, um, yeah. and with regards to the baseline protocol, you, 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 you've, we already have a lot of those integrations. Um, you know, if they're not already out there, there's companies generally working on them, as you say, with uh, you know, these, these you know, very well-established systems of records that are very widely used within enterprises. Yeah, yeah. And what I like about the baseline protocol is that it's, it's not in a cold war with traditional systems. Right. It was saying, hey, yeah, leave yeah, SAP. Yeah, SAP good. SAP on baseline, even better, because then you, you can be sure that your SAP system not only tells you what you think you know about your relationships with other people, but you can verifiably know that they also know what, what, what you know on a record by record basis with really good compartmentalization. Right. You, now you have access controls. I've sent you a an invoice via secret peer-to-peer point-to-point -peer, uh, -point messaging. Um, we have a, a proof over here that looks like nothing. Nobody can generate a classifier from AI on that. It's just a piece of nonsense on a, on a public bulletin board. And But that little piece of nonsense, if you and I are in on the secret and know where that Merkle tree is, we can say, yep, you and I are in sync. And we can do a lot of cool things from there. We can say, it's not just a one-step process. I can say, well, I've got a giant workflow. And I can put rules in to say I can I'm going to cha change state from here to here to here. Um, this purchase, you know, this RFP generates or leads to this master service agreement that leads to this purchase order that leads ultimately to this invoice, this dispute resolution, all these things. Um, uh, these inventory changes, all that you can you can you can start to build really interesting workflows that have integrity, but where like if you and I are in workflows step number twenty five. We may not even know that there is a work step number nine or who's in it, right? But if you did that on like, say, fabric in a channel or on a blockchain, you would at least be able to observe that other people were doing other things. And just the observation of the, of the changes to the machine could give you a lot of intel about what's going on outside of your purview. But with baselining, not, not so much. There's just really no, there's no information. And with, with the approach that Baseline takes, a you know, key part of this, as you say, it's, it's using uh, blockchain as uh, an integration layer in the form of a, you know, a, a place for system for records to be stored securely, but these are more cryptographic proof records as opposed to the raw data as such. So there's this kind of right. degree of security that enterprises like that. Then if you look to what's happening within the public, uh, I guess the pure kind of play uh, protocols that are building on the blockchain where people are, you know, say DeFi to take a case in point where they're, they're building these ecosystems out in the open and in many instances trying to take on those, those enterprises which are you know, finding ways to integrate using the baseline protocol with these public ledgers and make it fit with their current way of doing business. Do you, do you think that that's going to be enough for these these large corporates or there's still significant risk of them being disrupted by some of the big innovations that are actually happening and with these public pro well, projects that are building on top of the public blockchain protocols? Yeah, no, I think that uh, it, where there is a public 
protocol. I mean, first of all, you know, we should say that public public blockchains that that want that want to work with enterprises and, and, and any business that gets to the level of being serious, right? If you're just a couple of folks in a in a company, you haven't really begun to grok the realization that the data that you're collecting and managing or that you're dealing with that uh, that, that privacy matters, that uh, you know, compliance matters. You know, if you if you are look, if you're a four person startup and you're dealing with grandma's pension, you've got all the same regulations to deal with that, that an enterprise does, and you better realize that sooner than later, right? So disruption is fine, but if you're a serious business, then you have serious issues to deal with, and one of them is you just can't be out there in a in a digital nudist colony showing all of your internal information and all of your business processes to everybody. A public blockchain implementation is always going to get going to result in that. Even if you try to do things like ZK Snarks, you know, the only truly private blockchain out there, uh, blockchain structure would be one where it says, you know, somebody gave somebody something, somebody gave somebody something, sameness over and over and over again. Things like Zcash, right, would, would be like that. That is pretty private, but it only does one thing over and over and over again. So there's no morphology to, to, to pick up on and generate classifiers on. That's not what you get in these full-featured blockchains, right? So I don't know. I'm always dubious whenever I hear somebody uh, with a protocol saying, we do this much TPS, right? I'm like, why are you trying to get a blockchain to be supremely good at TP at, at transaction processing per second? That's not what they're good at, yeah. right? Don't use them for that. If you're trying to use them for that, you've got the wrong idea. You think it's a database. Don't use it for that. It's middleware. Yeah. For businesses, it's middleware. Now, the, now I, well, the, the caveat to that is DeFi, right? In DeFi, there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of wealth management that's going on that can be done out in the open. Um, you still have to, you know, look, if, if I'm a hedge fund, pretty sure my I don't want my competitor hedge fund knowing a lot about my positions, right? And so that's a problem, right? You know, what are you going to do? Okay, you throw it through a mixer. Now you're in trouble with the federal government, right? <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, yeah, the fact is, you know, you have a nice paper trail of where things went. Anybody with a good machine learning system is going to figure some patterns out about that. So you have to be mindful of that. But that said, it, again, if I, for example, in the company that we're, I'm working on, um, I've got database records that represent invoices. I'm not going to put those database records on the blockchain, but I want to sell a big tranche of them on the public Ethereum mainnet as and he, you know, as a as a token to say, hey, you can have a share in the uh, you know all of these invoices. That doesn't give away any information about like Walmart's invoices or or you know, uh, it, it's just a big tranche of invoices with a big rating on it that says, hey, you know, you can buy in on this. So that's a good example of where you have a traditional system of record that's baseline, so that you know that that data is consistent with the buyer, the supplier, the auditor. Everybody's got consistent information. You didn't have to blockchain it for that. You didn't have to put it on a big threat surface. You've got basically four databases that have the same piece of information, but then you can roll those up into a token on the blockchain and sell it. Mm -hmm. So that's a good example of where you can have blockchain and DeFi working hand in hand with traditional systems. Yeah, that's a fantastic example in terms of really calling out where it's uh, you know, should it should be being used. So in in, in terms of uh, you know, the, 
What, what's really exciting you in the space right now, um, you know, whether it's baseline protocol or other initiatives that you're involved in? Well, I think that that uh, for me, that the exciting thing is how boring um, uh, we're getting, right? So boring is the new exciting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, baseline is a pretty old pattern, right? It's just a loose coupling pattern. Uh, I've been using that for what, 40, 50 years? Um, so that's that that should be acceptable to CIOs and CTOs and CS, CISOs and, and, and the like to say, hey, you know, you don't have to be afraid of public blockchain. You just need to use it right. And you and, and most of what you've been taught about it for the last five years is wrong. So let's fix that. And then you'll be like, oh, yes, of course, yeah. this works. Uh, so that I like the, basically boring is the new exciting. And then, of course, I, I, I'm you know, being able to do things like like finance invoices in an efficient more and lower risk way, right? If I can bring the risk of non-payment down on an invoice, I can buy it for less. I can I can give you a few, you know, a, a, a better discount on that invoice. That's it. Make uh, make make it all as boring as possible. It's uh, definitely an exciting uh, way to look at it. Um, in, in, in terms of uh, if people want to keep up with you know what you're up to, I know you're very active on Twitter and you've got a good following there. Is, is that the best best place for people to engage with you? And of course, kind of joining the baseline protocol uh, public calls as well. Yeah, getting involved with the baseline protocol, just go to baseline-protocol.org. Uh, we've got a Slack. Uh, we, a lot of the community uses the Slack channels um, primarily um, for lots of reasons, but we do have a Discord and Telegram uh, link. And um, yeah, Twitter is good. And the YouTube videos, we still, we've never missed a week uh, of the baseline. We call it the baseline show. It's basically our office hours. And in fact, we're just about to launch an India chapter of, of baseline. And there's, you know, in, in IT, when the, when the, you know, the major Indian companies uh, that are doing solutions uh, get involved. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you go and you know, look for SAP education, it's probably somebody in India teaching, you know, teaching that class. Mm-hmm. So it's very exciting to see, uh, you know, uh, folks in India getting, uh, uh, taking leadership on that side of things. Yeah, awesome. It's yeah, there's, there's, there's a fantastic community there and it's just sprung up so quickly as well. It's, it really is phenomenal. Yeah. Cool. It's awesome. good to see you, Connor. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, John. Thanks a lot for your time and it's really great to have you on. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.